So thank you all so much for coming to learn with me. And um, I want to also uh, say a big thank you to Martine and Jack Schenker for sponsoring and dedicating tonight's learning in memory of Sabine Krennic, Springa Basberich. Did I get that right? Sprinza. All right, I have to tell the office. They got the, they got, they put a, a G in there and I never questioned. I send you, I send you a, 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 an email. I know, I got it. That's what I was reading from. That's what I was reading from. No, no, uh, from Sprinza, from Sprinza Vasperich. And uh, our learning should be Lila Nishmasa and Shagivar Nishama Nachas and Gan Eden. And Shagivas Nachas down here. Hi, Rosa, good to see you. So um, I want to start off by by being mocked him with one story. And it's a famous story, so I won't spend too much time on it. And you hear it, uh, it crops up. Maybe, I guess it might be the most famous Agadita, perhaps. I, I would say it's maybe the most famous uh, uh, story in the Gemara that's out there. And, um, and the, story is, the story is variously called Tanuro Shalachnai, the oven of Achnai. And the story goes like this. Um, in the base Madrash one day, so the rabbis were debating whether or not Tuma and Tara transfers through the different pieces of a, a new kind of oven that was separated. It was Julios Julios, it was like linked together, different ovens that were separated by sand. And it was a question of whether or not the oven would be Makabal Tuma on one part and that would disperse to the rest of the oven. Anyway, so we find ourselves, the Gemara transmits us to the base Medrash and the rabbis are sitting in the base medrash and debating this particular halacha. And they said that that day, on one side, Rabbi Eliezer gave all of the answers in the world and uh, all the defenses of his position. And, the, and, and this is ostensibly a regular Talmudic argument. And they didn't really accept it from him. And um, Rabbi Eliezer was the one who said that it's pure, that it, the tumah, that the impurity doesn't transfer throughout. And the Chachamim, so the Chachamim felt differently. They felt differently. They, thought, they were metame. They said that it was ritually impure. And after, ostensibly, after the regular Talmudic arguments had, had finished, had gone, their, had gone their respective route, so then it says that things got a little bit interesting. The Gemara tells us that on that day, so Rabbi Lezer was so convinced that the halacha was like him. So Rebbe says, if the halacha is like me, let the carob tree that's outside the base medrash, let that prove me right. And sure enough, when they looked outside the base medrash, the carob tree, which is no small thing, they're big trees, right, big thick trunks. So the carob tree picked itself up and started walking, sort of like in the Lord of the Rings movies, right, a walking tree. And it walked itself a hundred amas. And for their part, the Chachamim respondent said, look, you don't bring proofs from a walking carob tree. Right, very nonplussed by it. Then Rabbi Lezer comes and says, if the halacha is like me, let the water outside, there was a stream outside, probably a very beautiful setting, imagine where they were learning, let the stream outside, let that prove me right. And sure enough, the stream flowed upstream, right, backwards. Right? Crazy thing happened, and the rabbis were also not impressed. And they said, look, we don't bring proof in halacha, we don't bring proof from a stream. Finally, he says, look, if the halacha is like me, let the walls of the base medrash pro- prove me right. And the walls of the base medrash started to begin to crumble on them. Uh, strange thing, right? Bringing down the walls of the house and everybody having the argument, a very like shimshon kind of move. And, uh, and, the, and the rabbis, the, right? Rabbi Yeshua representing the rabbis, Rabbi Yeshua went and said to the walls, he said, 
if these Tamid Chachamim are arguing with one another in matters of halacha, what exactly are you doing? And so what happened? The walls got stuck in limbo. They didn't fall because of the honor of Rabbi Yeshua, and they didn't really stand up because of the honor of Rabbi Lazar. And then finally, Rabbi Lazar has had enough, and he says, if the halacha is like me, they're going to prove it from heaven. Heaven is going to prove me right, right? And, and, and sure enough, a baskol, a voice emanated from heaven, the, and the voice that emanated from heaven says, why are you arguing with Rabbi Lazar? The halacha is like him in every place. Halacha is like Rabbi Lazar. So that, if, I don't know, if I were in the base medrash that day, I would have been like, okay, fine. I, I had my opinion, went through the halachic reasoning, but a heavenly voice is emanating that everybody hears and says the halacha is like a reliezer. So you got to go with that. Not Rabbi Yeshua. Rabbi Yeshua stands up on his feet. And Rabbi Yeshua says famously, lo ba shamayimhi. It's not in the heavens. We don't pay attention to a baskol. We don't pay attention to falling walls. We don't pay attention to a river flowing upstream. We don't pay attention to a walking tree, right? Loba Shemaim is that we are having a halachic argument. The Torah was given to us, and the Torah already told us certain guidelines for halachic arguments. The guidelines say, Achri Rabin Lahatos, we follow the majority of rule. I, Rabbi Yeshua, represent the majority. So therefore, the halacha is like us. And I don't care what kind of miracles are, are happening outside. And uh, the story finishes with a coda, a strange one. They said that Rav Nassan, apparently somebody who had been present, found Eliyahu Hanavi, who we're going to encounter later on in this particular Torah from Rav Tzadok that we're about to see. So Rav Nassan came to Eliyahu and, and said, what was God doing at this time that, we were, that this amazing argument was happening? And, and in a usually, I think, misinterpreted reply, so he said to him, the difficult line, that God, Kiviyachal, was laughing and said, Nitzchuni banai, Nitzchuni banai, my children have defeated me, my children have defeated me. Now we could spend a long time uh, parsing, we could spend many share in parsing every single aspect of the story and how important it is and why the story has reached such a place of prominence uh, in Agadita and in Gemara and in discussions of ideology and discussions of uh, the nature of halachic development. But I want to focus on the fact that we see Rabbi Lezer basically having a hatzlacha. He's being matzliach. The things he wants to happen, to prove his opinion supernaturally are happening. And that would be enough for us to look and be, well, well he's probably right. He's probably, he's probably the correct one here. I mean, his miracles are happening on his behalf. Amazing things are happening for him. So he's got to be right. Ruf Tzadok, for his part, now the Gemara tells us he wasn't, right? Even if he was right, he, he was not because we follow, because loba shamaimi, and we're not mashkiach in a baskol. We don't pay attention to the tree. We don't pay attention to the water. We don't pay attention to the walls falling. We don't pay attention to those miracles. It's a rational discussion of halacha. And I think that even though we see Rabbi Eliezer uh, not being successful there, right? We would, we would, we would be excused for assuming that Eliezer is right because things are going his way, because he's being successful in invoking, in invoking miracles. So that's where we come into this wild. And, and when I say wild, you know, what I mean is that this, is, this presents such a disturbing, and I mean this in a good way, disturbing in the sense that it unsettles you, it unsettles the way that you look at the world, it unsettles the way we understand cause and effect in our avodas Hashem, and it, it, and it forces us, I think, because it's well-argued, forces us to reassess our relationship to these ideas and our understandings of them. What, is, what does our success in this life mean? 
what exactly does our own personal path and, and the, the hiccups that might be along the way or the successes, hopefully, along the way, what does that tell us? What, how do we understand whether or not Hashem agrees with us? That Hashem, Hashem likes Kivyacha, what we're doing. Is that we're doing the right thing. How do I know that I'm right? So we're going to jump right into this Torah. I'm going to translate as we go along. And uh, this is like a life, to me, this is a life-changing, unsettling, challenging, incredible idea that only Rav Tzadok could present as, as tightly wound and, and as neatly wrapped as he does over here. And this is Simon Samach Dalid in Tzidka Satzadik. Pamim now again, when we learn Tzidka Satzadik, especially from Rav Tzadok, the first opening salva, the first line, is almost like the thesis statement. And everything that comes afterwards is going to be an attempt to bolster this idea, to, to take this spark, this germ of a thought, and to allow it to expand. Pamim Sometimes it seems clear. Shashem Yisbarach Masayu Maskim Masav Sometimes it seems clear to a person that Hashem is supporting them and, and agrees with their actions. And nevertheless, that's not evidence that you're actually doing the right thing. Just because it seems to you that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is taking pleasure from your choice, from your path, right? Just because that's true doesn't mean that it actually is the correct thing. Doesn't mean that it's actually in It's not clear that you're actually doing the right thing. In another way, this is saying that there is your truth and there is the truth. And it's almost as if Ritzadok is anticipating and prefiguring the collapse of a consensus reality in our postmodern age that everybody's got their own truth, that objective Capital T truth is so much harder to find. I mean, the Gemara in Sotore tells us this at the end, that in the Ikvisa de Meshicha, which now we know what that means, that truth is going to be hidden, that truth is going to be difficult to find, but just because you're successful, just because you're being matzliach, doesn't mean that this is what Hashem actually wants. It doesn't mean that what you're doing is ratzon Hashem. Just because you're successful is not a stamp of actual approval from God. Now, as we dwell on that opening salva for a second, we continue. So we're going to do this slowly, and hopefully I'll make some sense. On this it's written in Yeshaya, this comes from, from Sefer Yeshaya, Perak Memches, Pasuk Yudzayin, Yeshaya, the Pasuk translates, says, I am God, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you for your profit. God wants to educate us, mitzvot are, are educational tools to inculcate us in doing the right thing and following what is exactly Ratzon Hashem. I mean, the closest you could get to knowing for sure really is learning Torah and doing mitzvot without any pineos, without any ulterior motives, with totally lishma, and that's hard enough. But the Navi Yeshaya said, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you for your profit. God wants to teach us for our benefit, right? We benefit from learning Torah. We benefit from, from taking Hashem's guidance and, and life's guidance when, when life throws us curveballs. And it says, I lead you by the way, baderech, that you want to go. It says, baderech, madrichacha, baderech, telech, you will be led 
along the path that you want to go, that you choose to go. God leads you along. And what I think that this means is that they're go- you're going to receive heavenly assistance in arriving at your destination of your choosing. And here's the kicker. Even if that's not what God wants, God will be madri chacha bederach telich. Chazal said on this, right? Chazal said on this, Chazal, uh, Rashi, just on the Pasuk, Rashi even explains this by adding on one word, right? The one word Rashi says, bederach asher tivchar lelich. On the path that you choose to go. And the choice of the word tivchar in Rashi, I think, grants us a perspective on how we live our lives. We are not hurtling along, cast to fate and to whim and, and to a capricious world, but we're making millions of choices, significant and trivial, along the way. This idea is more significant than just an agadic aside. Now to get into the Gemara, that's the Pasuk. So the rabbis took this Pasuk and they said something incredible and I actually want to quote to you. Rav Tzadok brings part of the drush. Rav Tzadok says a statement by the rabbis, On the path that a person wants to go, that's the path that you will be led along. Now to explain how important an idea this is, so when Chazal opened up this concept, so Chazal said, Min they said, Min from the Torah, Min from the prophets, Umin from the holy writings, but they said, right? It's worth dwelling, right? They give examples from each one of these cases, from each one of these situations, from Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim, to say that this idea is so foundational and actually appears in all of them. So the example, anybody want to guess, what's the example, without reading ahead, what's the example from the Torah of B'derach Shadam Rotzei Lelech, Molichin Oso? It's going to form an important part of understanding this Torah. What's the, what's the example that they bring from the Torah? So the example that they bring from the Torah is from Bilam. So in the, in the beginning, so God said to Bilam, Lo Telech Imahem, don't go with the officers of Balak. Don't go on this mission. Lo telech, using that word telech. And then later on, a few, eight psukim later, it says, okay, right? If you want to go with them, go with them. Right? Kum lechitam, go with them. So what, what happened in these eight psukim from lo telech iman to, okay, go with them. And we know that Bilam did go on his way and it was ill-fated journey. And from the Nevi'im, so we have a pasuk that says, he says, That's our Pasuk over here from the Navi Yeshayah. I will lead you along the path that you walk. Right? The path that you choose is the path that God leads you along. And in Aksuvim, from Mishle, it says, right? If you're late, if you're a clown, so you will find that the world will be a joke to you. And you will be a joke to the world. The Leitz over here is not a person with a good sense of humor. A Leitz is a person who treats the world as scoffer, a person who treats the world as a place of jokes and can't be serious with anything. So the world will be an unserious place and they will be an unserious person. All of these things, Niv Torah in Bilam, Nevi'im from Yeshaya, and Ksuvim from Mishlei, tell us something really crucial because whenever Chazal tell us that an idea is, is mentioned in triplicate, in Torah, Nevi'im, Iksuvim. So that means to indicate to us that this isn't just some agadic aside, but that we're actually dealing over here, when the Gemara uses this language, we're actually dealing 
with, it's signaling to us that this isn't some ancillary idea, but an absolutely foundational one. This idea of is a foundational idea in Judaism. Now, I'll pause for a second. It's fair to ask, I think, especially if you haven't heard of this idea before, right? It's fair to ask, why is this such a foundational, like why is this such an important idea? What makes this idea so impressive? What makes it so central to what we're doing? And I think one answer that we can, that we can already offer now, after reading the first few lines of Tzadok over here, one possible answer is precisely why I find this Torah from Rav Tzadok to be so fascinating and disturbing, as I mentioned, in a good way. And it means that we can look at the world and we can look at ourselves in such a way that our own success, our own Hatzlacha, right? The, the, fact, the fact that things are going well for us fact that things are relatively easier, that we could look at other people and say, wow, they, they have it hard. I think the fact that we could look at our own success as proof of the fact that we're right is a really profound thing that we need to examine. Because Ruth Sadduk is telling us, and, and Chazal are essentially telling us, as Ruth Sadduk is based on this idea, that it's not necessarily true. That we, we all like to take, for example, you know, especially when things are good, we like to take this as a simon, as a sign from heaven that we're doing the right thing. And, 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 and Rav Tzadok is going to take this into a little bit more of a radical stream of thought in a moment that we're going to get to. But, but it doesn't just apply to ourselves. We can look at sports teams that we like, right? You could be a Patriots fan, for example. That doesn't mean that they're a good, that doesn't mean that they're a good team. That doesn't mean that they're good people on that team. I guess I'm, I'm talking back in the Tom Brady years, right? right? You, could look, you could look at a sports team. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right people to root for. You could look at a political ideology. You could look at, at, at a political party. And you could say, well, since they're winning and since they're so powerful, well, they must be right. You, we've heard a version of this or any group of people doing something. And you could say, well, their success is not an indication necessarily of their righteousness or their, or, or, or their up, or uprightness. And uh, we've heard a version of this, I think, in early uh, history classes that we may have taken in middle school where we learned the, the maxim, might does not make right. And there is certainly a kohani way of looking at the world where because someone is successful and powerful and, and wealthy and, and has all these things going for them, that I think we automatically look at that and the automatic assumption that we make when gazing upon that from without is, well, they must be doing the right thing. Not always, but that's how many, many people look at it. On the other hand, we can look at ourselves when we're on the inside and hopefully things are going good for us. It doesn't mean it's bad when things are going good for you. It just means that you shouldn't give up the work of analyzing your actions and plumbing the depth of your choices, of the things that have brought you to where you are, successful or unsuccessful. But it's certainly not a gespanka, it's certainly not a stamp of approval from a Baruch Hu that I'm doing the right thing. Because Chazal told us, based on the Navi Yishayim, God will lead you along the path you choose. And this was an idea that Chazal said is taught in the Torah, in the Nevi'im, in the Ksuvim. That's, that's already, like we could end the shir right now, we won't, 
We could end the year right now, and we already have a very powerful idea to think about our own success or lack thereof and what that means about our relationship with Hashem. We like to pretend that these successes, however big, however insignificant, are messages from Hashem that we're doing the right thing and that our failures are messages from Hashem that we're not doing the right thing. And that's not true. That's not the way that a Baruch Hu runs the world. That's not the way that things are, 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 are actually, actually are because we recognize, we learned in the last one, that this world is also an Amadish Shikra. And there's many layers of lies that one has to push through until they find absolute truth. I think that this is sometimes, uh, even in the secular world, what's, what's, what's up behind, you know, you'll find celebrities or big epochal figures, you know, big successful people that make complete changes, right? That leave it all behind. You hear stories like this every once in a while. And, and I think that that is representative of a piece of this idea that a person can have all the success in the world and realize this doesn't mean anything about me as a person. And this doesn't mean anything about me being a good person or doing what God wants if you're an Eved Hashem. So that's, that's the first part. That's the first part of the idea that Rav Tzadok is, is bringing out over here. Now let's, let's get a little bit deeper into because here comes Rav Tzadok's main chiddush over here. So up to now, Rav Tzadok had his opening line. He quoted the Navi Yishaya and he quoted Chazal. He's marshaled already these two sources. So where's the chiddush? Where's the, the big deep, right? It's already an unsettling idea, but where's the big, deep idea over here? So this Rav Tzadok says in brackets. Rav Tzadok says, focus on the fact that it uses this word baderech. The Gemara uses baderech, and in Mishle it uses baderech. Rav Tzadok says that's significant. Ve'amar baderech. The reason it says, the usage of, of the word baderech over here is significant as well. Because the word baderech in Sefer Mishle what does the word baderech signal to us? Why is that a, an important choice of words? Because the word baderech in Sefer Mishle, says Rav Tzadok, means something more than just a path, the path, right? A path. It means the path. What's the path on the path? What's the path that we're talking about? Rav Tzadok says, baderech, baderech the path of the Torah. You know what Tzadok is saying? As he wrote earlier in a different piska in Memches, Rav Tzadik is saying that in Sefer Mishle, the word Baderech means the way, the path of the Torah, a very specific path. Because Hashem Yisbarach doesn't provide the above support and success unless, Rav Tzadik says, Ki ein Hashem Yisbarach Messiah, Hashem won't provide any of that success that we were talking about earlier. Even if it's false, none of that success will be provided. There's, there's the Chiddush. Right? You, see how, you see how incredible an idea this is. Tzadok says, what we were talking about before, that on the path that a person chooses to go, that's the path they're going to be led upon. And what the Navi Yeshai was saying, that baderech, Rav Tzadok says, in Sefer Mishle means something specific. It means the path of the Torah. Rav Tzadok says this support, this success, this, this, this outer layer of what you think might be a stamp of approval from God, our material success or our, our rising in a career uh, rather unfettered or 
our, our social ease, or the ease we may have with raising children, or the ease we may have in our learning, or at our jobs, all that stuff, and the money in our bank account, right? That siyua, that divine assistance doesn't come unless a person thinks alpidato, according to their own mind, according to their own assumptions, that they're holy ichbederach Torah, that they're going in the way of Torah, meaning misguided, misguided as they might be, they believe that they're indeed doing what the Torah wants, that they're doing the right thing, that they're doing the thing that is yashar v'tov in their eyes. And this is, again, this is what I was talking about, this collapse of consensus reality. You have a million different truths. And in many ways, and this is a statement that we see in Chazal, right? You have what seems sometimes to be like a million Torahs, that everybody seems to be l'shem I'm just going to talk narrowly about us. That so many people follow their hashkafas and they think that their hashkafa is the absolute correct one to the exclusion of all others. And, and the reason their hashkafa is the correct one is because they're successful. Or the reason that, that their hashkafa is right because they believe that, they, that they're arguing l'shem shamayim. So like, for example, the chassid that spits on Rav Kook, right, does so it's charitable almost, does so because they believe they're acting l'shem shamayim. And the group of people that throw rocks believe that they're acting l'shem shamayim. Or on the other hand, you know, the people that, the people that believe that Mashiach is imminent because we've won a war in 1967, right? So they use their success as proof that, that this is what God wants. I don't know who's right. I'm not a Navi. I try... I try I try, and, I try as much as possible to keep things simple because at least I understand that. We don't have Nevi'im anymore. But we see this all around. We see this in, in a national historical scale. We see this in an individual scale. And I think that this also applies in the non-Jewish world as well. I think that many people have their ideologies. And, and I don't think there's a way to look at the world and to think that everybody is acting in self-interest, completely cynical, completely messed up and Machiavellian and manipulative and that's why people do what they do. Could be. There's another way of looking at it that says actually majority of people think, do what they do because they think they're doing the right thing. Right? Majority of people hold their opinions, especially in a world where, where every single day feels like ideological battles, that people hold their opinions because they believe them to be correct. They believe it to be their version of L'Shem Shamayim, however pernicious and however insidious it might seem to the rest of us. But as Ritzadok said, the success, the relative success that they may have or not have is no indication of how right they are or how correct they are in these opinions. That's why all of us, that, you, that, that Avodah Sashem means and, and working on yourself in general means constantly interrogating your motives, constantly interrogating your thought patterns, constantly going deeper and deeper to understand why it is that I am doing the things that I'm doing, why it is that I, what motivates me. And is that something that is, that, that I can honestly, truly say, you have to get out of yourself a little bit. You have to get out of your mind and, and, and judge your actions. Say, can I truly say that what I'm doing is Ratzon Hashem? That's why it was so important. You know, Rabbi Nachman has a line, Batel Ritzon Chalifnei Ritzono, that we have, and it's based on the Gemara, right? That we have like this spiritual, the highest level spiritual imperative is to, is to completely nullify our, our, our own 
our own desires and our own interests and our, and our own, and, and by interests over here, I mean our own agendas, to try as best as possible to consistently and constantly nullify that before what, what must be God's will. Discerning what God's will is difficult. But certainly it's a life well lived if you constantly examine yourself on this particular area with this particular idea in mind. So let's go back. Let's go back for a second to the Torah. I just want to, just like a check-in. So far, so good. Are we making any questions at this point? Okay, I want to make sure that we're making sense. Fantastic. So again, so So in Mishle and also in Gemara Makos, it says, on the path. That is the path of a very specific path. It's a path of the Torah. The way in which a person will find that success, true or false, is at the very least they think that they're doing the right thing. They think that they're going on the way of the Torah. And we find so many people that cloak their agendas or, or honestly believe that the most pernicious agendas or motivations are actually indeed holy and sanctify. Um, and, and people do this all the time. And I told you in the Gemara, the example from the Torah was that Bilam in the first place, so Bilam in the beginning, so God says, don't go with them. Right? Bilam has his power of Nevoah. He's being sought out, you know, as a mercenary prophet to curse the Jewish people. And God says, don't go, right? Don't give them even the intimation that you're going to go with them. And Bilam plays this game with them. And then Sukim later, God says, okay, come lechitam. Okay, go, get up, go with them. We'll see what happens along the way. Chazal learned this maxim that we discussed above in the Torah from the opening discussion of Bilam and the emissaries. And we learned this from Bilam. And Rav Tzadok says something striking here. He says, We learned this from Bilam in the Gemara. That Bilam HaRasha, when he was having this dialogue with the officers of Balak, Bilam I mean, when you read the Pesukim, it's like a comedy of errors almost. I talked about how wild it is that we get to see the Jewish people from without in that Parsha. But, but Bilam, one could assume and one could make a charitable reading that Bilam thinks that he's this big tzaddik and Bilam thinks that he's actually channeling Ratzon Hashem. I'm waiting for what God wants to tell me. I, I, I'm, I'm going to pray on that, right? And, and I'm going to make my right choice on it. And that's what Bilam teaches us because we know, and Ratzel used the language, kifi sitra delay. The Bilam is representative in the Zohar of, of the dark side, the proverbial dark side. He is the, the mirror image of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Gemara tells us, Lokam Yisrael Navika Moshe Od, there never was a prophet in the Jewish people like Moshe, never will be. And the Gemara uses that as an opening to say, okay, v'Yisrael lokam v'abumas olam kam. Amongst the Jewish people, there's not going to be a prophet like Moshe Rabbeinu, but there, there was something like that approximating Moshe in, in the nations of the world, and that was Bilam. And that Bilam was like this mirror image. Moshe was Betara. I find it's, it's almost crazy to say Moshe Rabbeinu and Bilam in the same sentence, but there it is anyway. And Bilam represents Sitra delay. Sitra means the side in Aramaic. Sitra delay, his side. Bilam is a representative of the dark side of evil, of Kochas so Bilam does a good job of representing that, and Bilam does a good job of showing us what, what, what that kind of twisted piety looks like. What, what befoal it looks like, but derech, sha'adam rotzalelech, Bilam thinking he's doing the, run, the, the right thing, malich nosa, you're going to be led along on that path. 
That's how Bilam, that's how you should read the Bilam narrative. And, and, and Rav Tzadok now goes to Tanakh to bring his own example. So a, a little bit of background about what we're going to talk about next is, um, you know, so there was a new, we talked about the splitting of the kingdoms, Yehud and Yisrael, and we know that uh, Malchai, Malchai Yehuda were all part of a, a line, the Davidic dynasty. Malchai Yisrael, not so much. There were a few different dynasties that started up. There was a King Omri. Uh, king Omri founded his own dynasty. King Omri was apparently a warrior, ascended to the throne of Malchus Yisrael in the northern kingdom. And King Omri had a son, Achav. Now, Achav, uh, and much of, much of Achav's dealings with, with, say, with, with Eliyahu, right? So all that's in Sefer Malachim, right? So Achav married the daughter of the king of Tyre. Her name was Jezebel, Izevel, and she was a wicked lady. And Izevel immediately went, went along the path of, of, of basically turning, you know, Achav into this Manchurian candidate, um, bringing him along to idolatry, bring him along and, and the, much of the northern kingdom as well to the idolatry of the Baal uh, that we still find uh, that is essentially the downfall of the northern kingdom and uh, going to war against the true prophets of Hashem, uh, waging a kind of extermination campaign against them. And, and we find that this battle comes to a culmination at uh, Hara Carmel. That's where Eliyahu Navi has this tremendous encounter with Neviyeh Baal. And that Eliyahu Navi basically in the showdown proves that God is not going to be Shah. God is not going to turn to the offerings of the Nevi'i Baal, but that God is going to turn to Eliyahu's offerings and, and, um, and prove him right. And Eliyahu is forced to run away. Eliyahu hides in a cave. Incredible, um, incredible narrative. I believe we talked about it uh, months ago. Um, incredible narrative. Eliyahu Navi, the Gemara Tanis tells us that there are, are certain keys that are given, maftechos shel bracha, and some of these maftechos are never given over to human beings. Now, Eliyahu begged God for the mafteach for Geshem. The mafteach, one of the keys that the Gemara Tanis tells us, I think the very first page of Tanis says that was never given over to the Jewish people or to the world, was the key to rain, the ability to make it rain, to be a rain maker, right? That we know how important precipitation and avoiding drought is in an agrarian society, an agricultural society, especially in Eretz Yisrael, when it rains only during the wet months, the wet season in the winter. Eliyahu Navi says to God, I need you to give me the keys to rain. One of the other maftechos, by the way, is the maftech of Tchias Hamesim, of the resuscitation, the revival of the dead. And uh, people get resuscitated every day. The revival of the dead. And Eliyahu Navi actually traded the two keys, one for him, he gave back the key for rain and asked for the key for Tchiyas Amesim uh, with the son of the Shunamis. Discussion for another time. Eliyahu Navi at, at one point in Sefer Malachim, so Eliyahu Navi incensed as he was with Achav, incensed as he was with what Achav was doing and how pernicious uh, Achav's campaign of bringing the, the Baal and the Baal's worship uh, so so steeped into the Jewish people. So Eliyahu Navi basically says, um, there's not going to be, he tells Achav, there is not going to be any dew or rain during these years except by my word. That's what Eliyahu Navi tells Achav after having received, um, after he received the mafteach of Geshem to be able to withhold rain. 
Now, there is a major discussion amongst the Mepharshim of, and, in, and in Chazal of whether or not Eliyahu Navi made this decree on his own or whether God had commanded him to come before Ahav and to say this. There's an amazing essay I read on this earlier this week from Rav Hanan Samet, who Rabbi Robinson has spoken about Alan Shul, one of the great Tanakh, uh, Talmud Chacham, but also a great Tanakh scholar in Eretz Yisrael, religious uh, Bible study. And the question is, is this Eliyahu on his own initiative? And that's something that comes up again and again with Eliyahu. You know, we see it, it could very well be that what happened at Hara Carmel, you know, the, with the showdown and, and the making of the Bama, of the unauthorized altar there, whether Eliyahu was doing that on his own initiative or not, certainly seems like it was. And whether or not Eliyahu was taken to task for doing without being commanded. Uh, whether or not Eliyahu did this on his own, by his own initiative, or because God had commanded him to is a separate thing. But we do find in the Midrashim, for example, and I'm going to quote from Rabbi Samet's Shiurim, we do find uh, in Eliyahu Zuta, we find that Ahav, king of Israel, asked Eliyahu Atishbi, and, uh, and Eliyahu immediately got angry at him, and he said, by your life, I judge you by your own words. And Eliyahu took the keys of rainfall, the mafteach of Geshem, and left and withheld the rain. And it says that God created winter so that it would be winter and summer so it would be summer. And Eliyahu came along and made the winter into summer. And as it says, there's not going to be any dew or rain. Achav, you're going to be punished for the, the, the insidious avodazar that you've now planted in the Jewish people. And, and we said that this is what means, this is what we mean by saying that a righteous person can make decrees and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will Follow them. So it does seem, at least from Dvarim Rabba and from Eliyahu Zut, that Eliyahu is acting on his own initiative, taking this. That he, Eliyahu made a decree and took away the rainfall. And we know that God trusts his words. There's a Pasuk in Eev that says, That you make a decree and you say, and it will stand for you. That a tzaddik has the ability to be mavatel gezeros, to nullify through prayer, through intercession with the Kaddush Baruch Hu, to nullify terrible decrees, and on the other hand, to, 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 to make good things happen. And in this case, Eliyahu makes a bad thing happen as a rebuke to Ahav. He takes away the keys for rain. And that's where we're going to find Rav Tzadok next week, because Rav Tzadok brings maybe the most powerful bolstering of this argument, the most powerful, you know, we have the Gemara, we have Yeshaya, we have Bilam, we have all these cases... But the specific idea over here, right? Rav Tzadik is going to offer us, and next week we're going to see this, Mir Tzashem, a profound study of these psukim, a profound study of the story of Eliyahu Navi that I just told you, and, and then subsequently that Eliyahu is Talmud of Elisha and the son who ruled two kings after Ahav of Yehoram, who's mentioned at the end of this particular keta. And Rav Tzadik is going to use that in order to prove out his idea, to offer support, and through study of these psukim in a really profound way, to support this idea that essentially Hashem interacts with someone according to that individual's understanding of what's just and upright, even though it may not actually be so. So I think I've given us a lot, hopefully, to, to think, I've given myself a lot to think about. Emir Hashem next week, we're going to wrap up and conclude this particular subject. Any questions before we finish? I want to really thank every single person for coming to learning tonight. I, I mean, stalwart crowd. I really, really appreciate